if, if you are around my age and older, I don't know how old you have to be to get this, but if you're around my age, you know that when we were younger, three of the most excruciating words in the English language were these. Click me one time there, Seth. There we go. To be continued. Some of you know what I mean. You have felt this pain. There we were, sitting in our living rooms, because that's the only place we had TVs, was just in the living room. That's what all of our furniture pointed at. And uh, you'd be sitting there watching something awesome, like the A-Team, or the Dukes of Hazard. And because we had no concept of time and we had no idea as little kids, we were 27 minutes into a 30-minute time slot. We were just getting to the good part. And all of a sudden would come these three words, to be continued. And it hurt. And Waylon Jennings' voice would come on and tell us he didn't think the Duke boys were going to get out of their fix this time. And he would tell us to come back next week. But Waylon Jennings, we don't want to come back next week. We want to know right now. Bo and Luke are trapped in the barn. The hay is on fire. Those bank robbers from out of town might get away with it this week. But we would come back next week for two reasons. One, when it got dark, we didn't have anything else to do. And two... If you missed that episode when it aired, it was just gone forever. We didn't know it would be on YouTube 40 years later. It was just gone. You had to listen to your friends talk about it at school and pretend you had seen the episode too when really you hadn't. To be continued hurt. Well, it's been two weeks since we walked through the book of Philippians together. And I didn't say anything at the time because I didn't want anybody to be upset, but I should have ended that sermon two weeks ago with a sign like this that said to be continued. Because we are picking up what, what we're going to read today is dependent upon what came before. Two weeks ago, before Shad and Heather Welsh were here, we spent most of our time talking about this command from Paul. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We spent most of a sermon talking about what that meant and what it doesn't mean. Work out your salvation does not mean work for your salvation. Our salvation is a free gift from God given to all those who believe in Christ Jesus once you have that salvation, you're supposed to work it out. Now, with fear and trembling does not mean that I live with this sense of dread that I really am not redeemed, that God's going to pull the rug out from under me in the end. He's going to change His mind. I'm going to find out I didn't believe hard enough or I didn't do enough, that God's going to send me to hell in spite of what I believe about His Son. That's not what fear and trembling means. We said what work out your salvation with fear and trembling means is take that salvation that you have if you believe in Jesus Christ and mine all the good out of it. 
work it out. Put it to work in your life. Even when life leads to fear and trembling, even when it's very scary to do what God would want you to do if you put your salvation to work. Even if like Paul, you're, you're imprisoned under the threat of execution, keep going. Keep putting your salvation to work. Now, how can we tell if we're doing that? How do you know? How do you know if you are working out your salvation with fear and trembling, when life is hard, when things are scary? That's what Paul's going to talk to us about today. He's going to give us something of a sanctification test. Here's one way we can quickly know if we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you hadn't read this, if you didn't know where we were going, if it wasn't on the front of the bulletin, how would you guess Paul would start? If the Apostle Paul, if I had just asked you at random, what do you think the Apostle Paul would give as his first test for how to tell if I'm putting my salvation to work in my life? Maybe you would think he would say, quit uh, using addictive substances. Safeguard yourself against sexual sin. Color your conversations with the gospel. Pay attention to how many times you serve someone else. Those are all great things. Those, are, those all might be some test in some way. Excuse me again. <coughs> but they're not how Paul starts. When Paul wants to share with his friends in Philippi how they can tell whether or not they're working out their salvation with fear and trembling, here's how he starts. Do everything without grumbling, and complaining, and arguing. See, the whole reason I did the whole to be continued Dukes of Hazard thing because I want to make a big deal out of this. It can seem like when we get to this passage here. We could just start this like Paul picked this at random. I think I want to talk about grumbling and complaining now. No. It's this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God will give you the desire and the energy to do that. Here's how you tell if it's happening. Let's read our passage. This morning, we're just going to read verses 14 through 18 of Philippians chapter 2, right after Paul tells us to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He writes this Do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing and arguing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless or pure or innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. And even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. 
share your joy with me and together with me in this kind of joy. There's our passage. We start in verse 14 where Paul gives us this command. <coughs> Do everything without grumbling or arguing. This translation says. Uh, the first word, uh, grumbling, complaining, we know what that means. This one, it gets translated here, arguing. Uh, your English version might say disputing or... Um, now there's one other common word there, but this is a really difficult word to translate into English because it's not the word for, for a verbal argument, a dispute. It's not the word for when the words are coming out of your mouth in anger. It is a word that's like before that. It is the reasoning could be a better translation. It's all of the mental reasonings that go into the argument. It's everything you've been chewing on before. Whether the words come out or not. Paul says, you want to tell if you're putting your salvation to work in your life? How much do you complain and grumble? And how much do you chew on in the back of your mind those things that are wrong, even if you can bite your tongue and keep the complaints from coming out. It's, it's really amazing. It's striking how often we as Christians treat these things right here as if they are like the gift of discernment. See, I notice everything that's wrong. You know why? Because I'm so smart. It's, it's, I can see the way things ought to be. And so, of course, I tend to grumble, complain, Chew on those things that are wrong all the time. But grumbling and arguing, it doesn't make us smart. It doesn't make us perceptive. You know what it does? It stifles the work God wants to do through the salvation that we have. It does. And you don't have to take my word for that. We can see this all over the pages of Scripture. Grumbling, complaining, all the reasonings that go into it are not a sign of my intelligence, but they're a very important sign. Grumbling and complaining. This is why Paul puts them here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Here's why. <coughs> they're a warning light. Grumbling and complaining are like a check engine light in my heart, in my mind. It's a flashing warning light that says, be careful, there's sin ahead. You better do some engine work. It's a sign that my heart and my mind are not being controlled by my salvation. They're being controlled by my preferences. 
They're being controlled by someone else's mistakes. They're being controlled by my desire for control. They're being controlled by something. But it's not my salvation. We could spend all morning digging up examples. Let's start at the beginning. Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent of old shows up to begin to tempt Eve. And what does that crafty serpent want to get Eve doing right away? Grumbling and complaining. God said you can't eat from that tree. That's the best one. He wants Eve to take her eyes off of all of the good she does have and focus, zero in on that one thing she can't have. So he can get her to feel grumbly and complainery about the one thing that's maybe not exactly how she would have designed it were she the designer. That's still the first trick in his playbook. He knows if he can get us grumbling and complaining, there's more sin right around the corner. We could see this in Abraham. We could see it in Jacob. We could see it in all of Jacob's kids. Well, let's go one more book. Uh, Exodus. God saves. We could see it in Moses, but we'll skip him for now. God saves Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And he sets them free. And within 15 minutes, what's Israel start doing? Grumbling and complaining. Those stories are preserved for us in part just to teach us that grumbling and complaining, uh, that discontent with where God has brought me, with where God has put me, gives me license to grumble and complain. Like we would know if I had asked you on the way in, hey, do you think grumbling and complaining is a good thing or a bad thing? What would you have said? It's a bad thing. But two Tuesdays from now, your heart will say, yeah, but in my situation, it's not only unavoidable, but probably good. And if you've got 15 minutes, I will tell you all the list of things that are so terrible, then you'll know why I'm grumbling and complaining. Because of my job, my boss, my marriage, because of these kids, because of that person, on this team, Again, remember, where was Paul when he wrote this? He was imprisoned. He wasn't quite sure about what they might execute him. He was in prison for doing, this was his crime, doing exactly what God told him to do, exactly where God told him to do it. Then we learn in chapter 1, there are Christians around Rome. Christians! who have figured out how to profit off of Paul's imprisonment. That's the guy who says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. But I think in my situation, it's excusable. 
through Christ. When we put our salvation that we have, if we have it, when we put that to work in our lives, we can live um, without grumbling and complaining. I'm going to scratch that. I want to say that more strongly. When we put our salvation to work that we have in our lives, we will do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, what's the purpose of this command? Why does Paul give us this command now? It seems like such a weird test of sanctification. Right? How many of you are like, couldn't he have done something different? Like, could he have picked another one for me to test myself? Paul's got a reason. We like to call that reason verse 15. This is like very plain why this is in it. Paul says, remember, this is all about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How do we know if we're doing that? Well, first, you do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that, so I'm about to tell you why, Paul says, you may be blameless and pure. Let's pause right there for a second. My guess is when we are grumbling, when we are complaining, when we are chewing on all those things that might become grumbling and complaining later if they make their way out, we're grumbling, we're complaining about someone who's doing something wrong. Right? And we grumble and complain because they are wrong and this is so wrong. You see what Paul says here? When we grumble and complain, if we don't learn anything else this morning, we should learn this. When we grumble and, and complain, we are not blameless and pure either. Simply because we're grumbling and complaining. So now, that person I'm grumbling and complaining about ain't the only one wrong. But there's more than that. There's more than that. Think about this. How, how many fewer sins might we sin if we, could cut a, if we could cut out the discontent before we ever start grumbling and complaining. We, like, we could do this with every classification of sin we could sin. We'll start with, let's do financial crimes. Right? Uh, so, embezzlement. I should have thought about this ahead of time. I can't think of any more financial crimes. But somebody where you're trying to get money that's not yours or stealing. How much of that would be avoided... If the first person, the first time that person who winds up doing that sin, right when they started grumbling and complaining about their financial situation, and how come that person has so much more than I do? See, the grumbling and the complaining is like the seeds of sin being sprinkled in my heart, and it's like fertilizer. Because the more I talk myself into how terrible. My situation is I'm just building the excuse for the sin that might that will happen a ways down the road. Let's do another one. Mean, hurtful words. Should you say things that hurt someone else? How many of those hurtful things make it out, wouldn't make it out of our mouths if I would work to uproot them 
fight the battle in them when I was grumbling and complaining and chewing on them. They grow, they get bigger, and they get stronger. Then, and then they just come out. Didn't Jesus say what comes out of our mouth is because of what's in our hearts? We, we want to say, well, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to be a hypocrite, which means I'm just going to spew out all this poison so I can say I'm honest. Well, congratulations. How about getting rid of that stuff while it's little baby grumbling complaints? So do everything without grumbling and complaining. Why? So then you can be blameless and pure. And cut the sin off at the knees. Next Paul says this, you're children of God without blemish. I, I don't think, I could be wrong here, but I don't think Paul is just being redundant. The Bible's very redundant. In Greek and in Hebrew, redundancy is, is a way of uh, kind of underlining something, but I don't think Paul's saying the same thing again. Like, children of God without blemish can maybe be the same thing as blameless and pure. I don't think that's what's going on. I think Paul is giving us something to keep in our brains that will help us from grumbling, keep from grumbling and complaining. Paul says, keep this in mind. You are a child of God without blemish. Here's why that's important. What's Satan want to get us to do that will lead to our grumbling and complaining so Doesn't he want us to focus on what's wrong? Focus on what we don't have? Focus on what we sh- wish was different? Paul says, lift your eyes up and remember this. No matter what is wrong, let me tell you something that's right. You are a child of God without blemish in the eyes of the judge of the universe. You know why that's so awesome? You're a child of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into His family. Let me do this with this illustration. Are things getting more expensive? How many of you, let's be honest, let's even do a show of hands. How many of us have complained about the price of something recently? Come on, have courage. Take courage. You're amongst friends. Well, what if, what if you were going to inherit all of Berkshire Hathaway when Warren Buffett rides the bus here in the near future? Dude's 90 years old. It's a short-term situation he's got. He's worth over $100 billion. If I knew I was getting all that, the fact that butter is four bucks a pound wouldn't hurt quite so bad. Right? Listen, your father's worth infinitely more than Warren Buffett. And he's coming soon. And he has literally written you into the will. Paul told us in Romans that you are a co-heir with Christ Jesus. His faithfulness, he earned as his inheritance what every good human being should have earned corporately. He gets it all. And when we get adopted into the family, we we get to share in what he earned. Here's why Paul says that. Whatever has been taken from you, whatever's not right, is dwarfed 
by what you've been given that you don't deserve. It's like Paul is saying, remember when I want to grumble and complain, like lift my eyes, take some stock in the big scheme of things, like what do I have to complain about? I'm going to inherit infinity for eternity. I am going to inherit all things for all time. What do I have to complain about again? So we want to be. We want to do everything without grumbling and complaining so that we may be blameless and pure because we are children of God without blemish. Now, I do not want to try to convince you that you don't have anything worth complaining about. I don't want to convince you that nothing's wrong. How about that? I don't want to sit down with you and say, oh, let me, let me listen to your grumbles and your complaints and then tell you why that's actually not wrong, that thing you're grumbling and complaining about. And Paul doesn't want to do that either. Look what he does. Paul says, even though you live in a crooked and perverse society, we don't have to look around very hard to, to find something that's wrong. Paul says, don't grumble and complain. So you're pure and blameless. You're a child of God without blemish, even though people are jerks and the world is broken. That part is my translation. Right? That's what he says. He says, I know. It's like he hears somebody go, but, 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 Paul, give me 10 minutes to tell you everything that's wrong. Paul's like, yeah, I get it. I'm chained to a Roman soldier right now. There's... Perverse just means turned away from what is right. Is that still true? Do we live in a perverse society that's turned away from what is right? Yes. Does that mean we get to grumble and complain constantly? No. And we do that do everything without grumbling and complaining. We want to be blameless and pure. We're children of God without blemish. Even though, yes, sometimes the world stinks. But in that world, you shine as lights in the world. Now, just according to this passage, when is it that you will shine like a light in the world? Only if you do what? Everything without grumbling and complaining. You do everything without grumbling and complaining. You'll be blameless and pure. And you will shine like a light in a dark world. Few things shine the light of Christ brighter than someone who is in an obviously difficult situation who refuses to grumble and complain. You know who Joni Erickson Tata is? Recognize that name. By the way, they're going to do a Joni and Friends camp. If you have anybody that has special needs, know someone who has special needs people, the, the Joni Erickson Tata Foundation is going to be putting on a camp for folks in a situation like that at Maranatha. Look at their website later. That was not in my notes. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Joni Erickson Tata, diving accident when I think she was like a teenager, quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down her whole life. She was stuck in grumbling and complaining by her own admission for a long time, but boy, you don't hear it anymore. 
she sings, she paints. You know why? Because she knows I, what I've been given dwarfs what's been taken. There's nothing that shines the bright light of Christ in a dark world more than someone who in an obviously difficult situation refuses to use it as an excuse to grumble and complain. Now the flip side of that is also true. There's nothing that undoes whatever light you have shined by getting stuck, grumbling, and complaining. Here's why, this is why Paul uses this. This is what grumbling and complaining does. It doesn't matter how much I've talked about Jesus. It doesn't matter how much uh, I've improved in other areas of my life. When I get stuck in a pattern of grumbling and complaining, do you know what that communicates to those around me? It screams, I don't actually have any more hope than you do. Because if, if this was going to work in my life, the hope of what I have in Christ Jesus, if that was going to work in my life, my heart would know I don't have reason to complain. Or maybe better, I have reasons to complain. But there are few in comparisons to the reasons I have to rejoice. Which one, which one wins And it doesn't matter what I say about the Lord. My grumbling and complaining screams so loudly that it will drown out the message of hope by my lack of hope. If you are someone who struggles with this, grumbling and complaining, and if you have the courage to actually be honest, that I am someone who struggles with this. And if you would like to be better at this one area, I have a little homework I want you to consider. Grab one of these and add it to so find some time to read it a little bit at a time. You get there, Joni Erickson taught us another one. She's not even on the screen. She's probably got a biography out there somewhere that someone could recommend. But these are three that I have read. You know why? Because I tend to grumble and complain. Pick up The Hiding Place by Corey Tembu. I don't care if you've read it before. Read it again. In God's Underground by Richard Wormley. Zvi, The Miraculous Story of Triumph Over the Holocaust by Elwood McQuaid. Read one or two or all of those. Just to see what it feels like and looks like for someone to be this shining bright light in awful circumstances. Now, how do we how do we do this? Paul says we do this by holding on to the word of life. That's, that's our only hope of doing this. Because there's plenty to complain about. The world is broken and perverse, and people are jerks. So how do I not grumble and complain? By holding on to the word of life, which reminds me over and over that I have far more 
than I've ever lost. I've got to keep reminding myself that my account is overwhelmingly in the, po- in the positive. And then Paul ends this by holding himself up as an example. He says, don't grumble, do everything without grumbling and complaining. You do that by holding on to the word of life. That's what I'm trying to do. Why? So that on the day of Christ, I will have a reason to boast or glory that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice together with all of you in the same way you should be glad and rejoice together with me. Quickly, I want to tell you what Paul says. Remember, he's in prison. Um, he thinks they might kill him. And so Paul says, I want to hold on to the word of life so tightly. I want that, what I have in Christ, to overwhelm everything I have to complain about. So that, on the day of Christ, when I stand before Jesus, I do not want to stand before what we're going to see in a few weeks. Paul calls the great prize. Being with Jesus. I don't want to get there and go, oh my goodness, I spent my entire life grumbling and complaining. Oh my goodness, I had this the whole time. And I spent my entire life telling everyone how miserable I was when I had this. And so even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. This is so cool. Paul, a first century Jew, uh, when you went to the temple, the main, I, the main thing that happened in a, what we would call a church service at the temple was the sacrifice, right? You brought a sacrifice. You could also bring a drink offering, but that was like a garnish. It was like dessert. It literally was the after-dinner drink you shared with you and God. Paul says, even if they kill me and I wind up being poured out, it's like the main sacrifice, the whole reason I do everything I do, and they are killing me for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that you Philippians are believers. Up there in Greece, there was no believer. I did all that. That was the main sacrifice. If they kill me, man. I can rejoice that I died for something. Instead of spending my time complaining that they're going to kill me, which you've got to admit would be something worth complaining about by most people's standards. Paul says, I'm, if God has the Romans kill me in the service of the gospel, I am glad. I rejoice. And you people should be rejoicing with me, Philippians. This is the way we should do our life. Family. I am sure we could all do better than this. Do I have you sufficiently convicted yet? Me too. You want to be a light in a dark world? First, you've got to answer that question. Do you want to be a light in a dark world, or do you just want to point out how dark things are all the time? 
Do you want to be a light in a dark world? Do you want to make a difference to Christ? And do everything without grumbling or complaining. So you may be blameless and pure. You are a child of God without blemish. Do this even though, yes, you live in a crooked and a perverse society. But you can shine like stars in the universe. Or like lights in the world, either way. You've got to hold on to the word of life in order to do that. That way, when we get to the day of Christ, we can realize I didn't run in vain. That's something to show for this. Pray with me, and we will finish. Father God, you have sent us here to this part of the world up here on the high plains to shine like stars in the universe, to shine the light of Christ in a dark world. We can't do that while we grumble and complain. We know that now. Maybe we didn't when we walked in here, but we know that now. God, help us repent from our grumbling and complaining. Do not see it as excusable. Do not see it as unavoidable. Help us to see it as cutting sin off at the knees. Weeding the the seedlings of sin from our hearts. That we might Remember that we are children of yours. Know why when we get to the end of our race, we can see that we have, we have run not in vain, which is in this context, just grumbling and complaining about everything that was wrong. Let's help us focus on what we have been given more than what we focus on what's been taken from us or what we, we don't like. God, we, it's time to shine. We want to shine the light of Christ where you've put us. Though it's a dark world out there in Jesus' name. Amen.